This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah, the old seat of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Um, please, if you're watching this on uh, YouTube, please click to subscribe to my channel and uh, join us all the time. That way you'll get notified. Also, Torah Anytime, you can um, add me to your subscriptions on Torah Anytime and get the uh, get these coming straight to you. You'll get you'll get uh, notified when this happens. And uh, you, I don't even know how to do it on Facebook, but there's some way on Facebook that you click somewhere whenever I speak on Facebook, you get notified. <laughs> Um, also, please join the media club, Yomto Media Club. We're building that up, and please, God, we finally are at basically at the amount we need to hire our first person. And if anyone knows a top professional in in um, in uh, media networking and marketing, and we're going to hire our first person to make sure these classes are hitting the world at large. Now, we all want to live amazing lives, and we all put up with with not living amazing lives? And the, the answer is why? Why would we do that? Because that's basically what's perpetuating things. So we all, we all, I think all of us have good parts of our lives and we have parts that we don't like so much. And But the question is, why do we keep going with that? Why do we do that? And the answer is, is that, oh, we had this idea. I wonder, if I put in my ear pod, is it going to record... Is it going to get a better sound? Let's see. Hello, hello, yeah. Okay, it just went on. Um, please uh, send a message if the sound just got a lot better. That would really answer a major problem because I would get complaints that the sound's not loud enough. And this would also cancel out some guy hammering his way into the building. Use the entrance. So... Do you mind pouring me uh, just two cups of water right here? And so the answer is as follows. Human beings are highly philosophical beings. We're highly philosophical. We, we create philosophy where there is none. I mean, we, we'll literally create philosophy where there is none. For example, this guy's hammering out there. And so I made a joke that he's trying to get into the building, but you notice how it got kind of funny once there was a story around it? Like I made up that story. So we've got all kinds of stories, and we're all living inside those stories, and, and we'll just we'll make stories out of anything. That's just the way people are. And, you know, they, they have a... They have a did, I do the, did I tell you guys about the rats, with the rat experiment with the cheese. I don't think I told you that one recently, right? That they, that this is how rats are and this is how human beings are. If you put a rat inside a box that has four long tunnels coming off the box and the rat wants cheese, so you put the rat inside the box and you send, it'll go up tunnel one to see no cheese. It'll come out and go up tunnel two, no cheese. Tunnel three, no cheese. Tunnel four, cheese. Now, if you put the rat back in the box, which tunnel is it going to go straight to? It's going to go to four. They're smart. It's going to go to four. And there at four, you give him cheese. So he's got the cheese. Put him in again. Where's he gone? Four. There's the cheese. Where's he gone? Four. There's the cheese. Now, you move the cheese. You put it in tunnel one. You put him inside the box. Where's he going to go? 
four. It's going to go into four. He's not going to see any cheese. He's going to go into tunnel three. Is he going to find cheese? No cheese. Tunnel two, no cheese. Tunnel one, bingo, he gets the cheese. Now here's the point. You put him inside the box again. Where's he going? Where's he going, that rat? Tunnel one. Because he knows the cheese was in one last time. He's going to go straight into tunnel one and get his cheese. What do human beings do? Human beings, you put the cheese in tunnel four. They go tunnel one, two, three, four. The human beings will do a lot to get to something. We'll, we'll all get motivated and try to achieve something in our lives. And so you put the, t- the cheese in tunnel four, and he finally finds it in four, and he hits four, and he hits four a couple times, keeps going into four, there's the cheese. Now, what happens if you move the cheese to number one? You know what a human being does? They go into the box, now, just like the rat. They go to tunnel four because that's where the cheese was. But they find no cheese there. And so you know what a human being does is they, they set up a tent and put up a plaque and spend the next 50 years talking about how there was once cheese there. <laughs> this is a, a very important point, and I see you all got it, but where you got that isn't just intellectually. You got that deep in your bones because we're all in Tunnel 4 and there's no cheese there. You've been camped out of Tunnel 4 for years. And you know what I'm talking about when you have like, uh, those of you who have ever had a best friend complain to, part of being best friends is you get to hear how terrible life is sometimes. But have you ever noticed it's the same exact story, it's just new characters? There was a great sitcom in the, in the 1970s, I think also in the 80s, now more 70s, it was, maybe, I don't know. it was called Welcome Back Carter. Yeah. And there was this great character in it, in it whose name was... By the way, this is where uh, John Travolta got his start. He was Vinnie Barbarino. Vinnie Barbarino. Anyone remember this uh, show? Yeah, you remember that? You and I always know about yeah, these things, you know? We're old. <laughs> we're, the, we're probably the same age, I guess. So, anyway, John Travolta was Vinnie Barbarino. It's the cutest sitcom ever. I mean, it's just so cute. And the anyway, but there was this Mexican, the Puerto Rican guy named Juan Epstein, the Puerto Rican Jew. And so his name's Juan Epstein. He was not Jewish. He was completely Puerto Rican, but he considered himself the Puerto Rican Jew. So whenever he's introduced, he's like, "My name's Juan Epstein, the Puerto Rican Jew." Anyway, Juan Epstein would always come in late or miss a day or whatever of the school. Oh, the whole school's it's based around a high school class, and. So he would come in late, and he would hand Mr. Carter, Carter a note. And Mr. Carter would read the note, and Juan Epstein would be lipping everything he's reading, meaning what if he wrote it. The guy, meaning the, the high school kid wrote the note, and he knows it by heart. And that's the way it is when your best friend complains and cries on your shoulder. It's like you could lip it like Juan Epstein. <laughs> You understand, you understand what I'm talking about, Juan Epstein? You, you've heard it so many times. People are living in these crazy reruns, and they refuse to get out of it, and they, they almost love it. They almost love it. It reminds me of, a, of a, a babies with dirty diapers. Sorry, let me try that again. It reminds me of toddlers who are not potty trained yet. But they really should be, meaning they're, they're months too late to be potty trained. You know, it's already a year already. They, they, 
A normal kid would have been potty trained, but this kid's not letting the parents potty train them. And I'll, I'll never forget, my, I had this happen with our first, first two kids. You know, my first kid was still, and she already had a younger brother who sh- should have been potty trained at that point. Anyway, she finally, I don't know what got into her, but she finally, at like three years old, decides to go to the bathroom. And we were just like, I just went straight to the store and like came back with a bike. My son saw that bike, and he, I've never seen anyone run to the bathroom quick. <laughs> And I'm back at the bike shop, like, literally, like, like a half hour later, I'm back at the bike shop buying a second bike for my kids. And so it's like <laughs> instant potty train. So now I'm sure for him the cheese was in four. I mean, I know for the older girls the cheese was in four for them. I mean, there was something serving them there. But all of a sudden, like, that cheese hit tunnel one, and my son hit tunnel one real quick. He got off it quick. How, lo- how long does it take you to get off it? And, the, and, and you should know, when a three-year-old's still in their diaper, they, they, they hide. After they go to the bathroom, they hide. Because they're busted. They're totally busted. And so, but the problem is, how well can you hide? You smell. And so, all you have to do is, like, smell around the house till you find them. You know, like, where's that kid? And then finally, you know, there they are, like, uh, you know, they're under, under a counter, or they're... You know, they're hiding somewhere. And then as soon as you catch them, they run. All you want to do is change them. All you want to do is change them. But they don't want to change. People love their dirty diaper. And the question is, why do we love our dirty diaper? Why do we love it? What's, what's so... What's so warm and gushy over here? What's, what do we love about our dirty diaper that we're all willing to just stay in it? We know it. <coughs> oh, who just said that? Amazing. That's exactly where we're going. Did you just say we know it? Yeah. Whoa. So he went, he went deep, and I'm going straight there, so we're going deep. Human beings have a major issue a major issue. Every one of us shares this issue. And that issue is we have no idea who we are. We have no idea who we are. There is no one who would get up here and stand in front of the whole class and say who they are. You could say who you've been telling everyone you are, but you wouldn't even do that. First of all, I wouldn't be very humble. And secondly, you know deep down that's not who you are. It's just what's worked. As far as, I don't know who your family is, or your sibling order is, or your community you're raised in, or I don't know what was going on around you, that who you've become was worked for you. But one thing it is not is who you are. It's definitely not who you are. And so what happens, now listen carefully, you have to hear this carefully. So what happens in the end is that we're all gathered around this tunnel force situation of who we are, We're all gathered around that spot. And it's not who we really are, which means that we're in constant danger of exposure. Meaning you could be exposed in any minute. Three, uh, we got three seats here. One, two, and three. We're just going to stand. She's sitting. It's worth hearing this one, by the way, if you want to sit. 
because in another second someone else is going to come in and then it's going to get weird. Okay. <laughs> Especially when the two of you get slammed by the door, you know. So. If who you are is not who you are, so then you're going to be specifically poised and postured around that with a vulnerability with with an with a vulnerability that's that is so uncomfortable because in in any situation you I mean you just can't walk too close to pl- to cactus when you're a balloon you got to stay away from point point pokey things and some of those pokey things could be smart people some of those pokey things could be exceptionally beautiful people. Some of those pokey things could be exceptionally successful people. Meaning, meaning, anyone doing exceptionally well in life is like a cactus. And then, where are you going to shoot for your peers, high or low? You're going to shoot low for peers. And not only that, not only are you going to shoot low for peers, but you're going to shoot for people who are willing to accept someone who's not even you. Which will definitely perpetuate tunnel number four. Because they're willing to play the same game that you're playing. human self-identity, like who we are, our self-identity. The human identity is one of the great mysteries of creation. I mean, one of the beauties of going into nature, I spent a lot of time in the wilderness. I actually spent about eight hours a day in the wilderness for... uh, for uh, 12 years. From ele- I, I left school at 11 years old until I was 23. I spent about eight hours a day in the wilderness by myself. And that's why I'm standing up here and you're sitting there. I mean, later I learned Torah. And it's very interesting because a lot of the classes I teach today, I'm using the platform of Torah but I would have taught the same classes, except no one wanted to hear them from a long-haired hippie freak. Still got long hair, though. (laughs) I just moved it to one little section of my head, or two little sections. The human identity is one of the most enigmatic things in the world. When you go into nature, there's no identity crisis there. 
all those years I spent, and I'm still out there all the time. I mean, yesterday I was two hours in the wilderness. I'm one of the busiest people I know, but one of the non-negotiables is my time in the wilderness. And, uh, and I can be crazy busy, and people know how busy I get. No, I'm crazy busy. It didn't mean I wasn't in the wilderness for maybe an hour or two or three that day. Phone off. But you get to see things out there. One of the things is trees. And, and trees are so tree. I mean, they're just 100% themselves. I've never met a pine tree with an identity crisis. And we got a lot of foxes. The foxes are kind of, I don't know why we have so many foxes lately. Um, you'll see if you travel Israel a bit, you'll see some roadkill foxes as well. But Because um, foxes are kind of showing up everywhere. And uh, th- th- those foxes are just doing the, <coughs> they're doing the fox thing. And they're just 100% fox. <laughs> yeah. And uh, lots of deer and gazelle, and they're just doing the deer and gazelle thing. Everyone's great out there. Human beings, though, are we're, our 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 core identity is is completely missing. I mean, it's weird. It's like <clears throat> it doesn't exist. In most, I mean, very few people you'll ever meet where you get any sense of their core identity because it doesn't really exist. What is your core identity? Like, at the bottom of it all, like, if you unlayer all the layers and all the layers, all the layers, all the layers, all the layers, what's, what's under there? And the answer is, which is kind of a scary answer, but the answer is no one. There's no one there. And we're also scared to death that anyone ever finds that out. We're also scared that someone might discover there's no one actually there. And once in a while you meet somebody. Once in a while you meet somebody who knows there's nothing there. And you know how you met that person? You know how you know you met someone who knows there's nothing there and he's not afraid to admit it? You know how you know? they're happy and they're very relaxed around people they don't have anxiety they're creative they're courageous they're generally the people that you just feel moved and touched you feel inspired when you having spent even a tiny contact with them they, they, it makes a lasting imprint upon you having met such a person with very little said between you even and so the the the, uh, the puzzle gets thicker here like the, the puzzle gets stranger now because here we are holding on to an identity that's not even real. It doesn't even work, really. It's causing anxiety. 
it's like a it's like I'm walking a tightrope. Every time I meet anyone, I'm watching out for prickly pears, which is everybody. Because in two seconds I can be led to think I'm ugly, or two in one second I'd be led to think I'm dumb. unworthy or unwanted or whatever. And so I'm holding on to that when the person who actually surrenders to the fact, the person who surrenders to the fact that underneath it all, there's no one there. If I surrender to that fact, all of a sudden, I get a nuclear power plant of energy inside my heart. And I start to love people, like, unconditionally. And I suddenly get comfortable around people. And the parts of my body that would seize up around certain circumstances no longer does so. Rather, it's relaxed. So, like, here we are, kind of half-miserable, even if things are going well, creating a whole story around where we're at, because we will create a, we'll put up a plaque and spend 50 years explaining to ourselves at least why things are the way they are. Poised and postured around all the people, all the pokey people everywhere. rather than just be at peace. And what is that peace? That peace is the, the essence underneath the great mystery of humanity. And that essence is called the soul. That's the, that is the soul. Underneath all of this layers is the soul. It shows up as a as a base consciousness, like a, a base, like bottom line consciousness. That consciousness is open to any type of input, obviously. So if you're in their base consciousness, like hearing music would be really awesome. Tasting something particularly delicious would be like mind-blowing experience because when you're in that base consciousness so well it's quite open to any stimulation meeting another person would be uh, magical feeling God feeling God coursing through your veins is natural it's natural. I meet people sometimes say they, they don't feel God, they don't, they're full of doubts, and, and then add on that the ones who are raised with all the mitzvahs. And they're just like, like, you know, can I feel God first before I have to do all this stuff? Like, And then what do they tell you? They'll say, no, you got to do all that stuff and then you'll feel God. Thank you very much.
since we're feeling God now, so I think we have to turn off the AC just for a sec because the motor's making me crazy. Can you just turn off the power? Listen, everyone, get tuned in. When you get to the when you get to the core consciousness of your true self start to realize that your body is not perpetuating itself into the next moment. It's being perpetuated into the next moment. Your consciousness is, your body does age like it ages. Your consciousness does not. You're, you're just as young as you were yesterday or a year ago or ten years ago. Because the consciousness has no age to it. This is why King David said, in Tehillim, where it says, you know, Tzadik it says, it says there, Od Yunuvum B'Seva, they'll be fresh in their old age. Seva means old age. Od Yunuvum B'Seva, Desheni Varanim Yu, we're going to be, you're going to be just like full of life in your old age because the consciousness never ages. You're ageless. Someone who is connected to that is also very beautiful. Very beautiful. They would never consider themselves ugly. Because such an idea of being ugly would be like spitting in the face of God. This is why I think all men should have beards. Because we'll never know what you look like. You never grew a beard, so we never know what God, what God intended. How would we ever know what you look like? You keep taking it off. Keep taking what God gave you off. What did, what did God intend for you? What was, what was the face you were supposed to go through the world with? And then realize people interact with you based on your face. I mean, that's the biggest thing people interact with. But if you keep altering your face with ladies either with too much makeup or men with, with, uh, with you know, taking away your, your facial hair, you know, so all the interactions you're having are, it's hard to know exactly, you know, who's interacting with who here. And it's so interesting, beards. You know, identical twins have different beards. It's the weirdest thing. And it makes sense, too, because the Kabbalists, there were Kabbalists for generations who could read beards. And so identical twins have to have different beards because they're two different people. They, they could read your beard and tell you, you know, what's going on with you and where you're going next. And like, literally, like, reading palms, there were, people, there were chachamim that could read beards. There was, a, there was one rabbi like a hundred years ago who could tell you every incarnation you were just from your beard. I don't remember who it was. I once asked my Rebbe, can you tell me something about my beard? He said, his answer was, you're doing fine. <laughs> I wasn't sure what that's supposed to mean. I think what he meant by that is, I know what your beard says, 
You don't need to. You're doing fine. Anyway, when you get to the core consciousness under all of it, it's, there's really no one there. But it's a lot of fun. And, and then there's, there's other things that can be there. And so we can talk a little bit about that. But uh, you want to say something? Yeah, it just got me thinking into when you were comparing why animals are so, so genuine and, and um, true to themselves in comparison to humans, right? And I, and I was thinking that, is it maybe possible that because they have a, I think it's a Chaya, and we have a Neshama, I mean, we also have the other, the other souls, but do you think that maybe they don't have like the, the consciousness or, the, or there's like a gap in the, between us and the Neshama so that we, we get inside the whole, all of the culture and all of this programming, and that's why we're like so insecure, or we want to hide all of these uh, things to not be ourselves? Do you think it's related to, to that? I think they don't have a consciousness. I think they are hardwired to... God hardwired them. A, a, a fox isn't trying to be a fox. There's no try, as Yoda said. There is no try. There is do or do not. So they're in the do or do not mode. And obviously a Jedi needs to get to that mode as well. Um, whereas because of our our absolute lack of identity. I mean, we have no idea what we're doing here. So, so we can't help but start cutting and pasting identity. So it's fun to look at the word self-image. I haven't done it for a while in this class. So let's look at the word self-image. Self, I think we know what that means, more or less. What's the word image mean? What's, what's the word, where does that come from, the word image? Imagine. Okay, so one of the words is imagine. So that's an interesting way of looking at the word self-image. You know what self-image means if it means imagine? It means the imaginary self. I mean, you're walking around with a self-image, so it means you're walking around with an imaginary cell. That's cute. And then, what else is the word image? Where else do we know it from? Like Google, for example, what's image mean? Picture. Yeah, image also means a picture. Some image frozen in time. An image means it's frozen in time, right? Someone took the picture. That's what it was right then, and then, and then you know, life went on, but that stays the same. And so, the other way of looking at the word self-image is that is that it's a a self-picture. It's a picture that was taken of yourself. Okay, when do you think that picture was taken? You think it was taken on your, in your best day or your worst day? Well, I'll ask you guys, if you had 500 days where everything went fine, but on day 301 something went wrong, I don't know what went wrong. It could be anything. You got embarrassed or you failed something or you, you, you fell down in front of a bunch of people. I don't know. Something happened. So that happened on day 301 of 500 great days. Which day are you going to remember 301. 301's the, that's the snapshot day. So if you got, if you got, you know, if you got humiliated or something on day 301, don't forget to say cheese. Because that's probably when you took your snapshot. It's just 
human nature. It's just the way we are. Because it's shocking. You know, good days are kind of a wash. And then these little micro-traumas that happen to us as kids become the real shapers. Those are the real shapers. And, and so self-image also means the picture we took of ourselves. Judaism says get rid of the whole thing. Just get rid of it. And that is, that's what it means to be humble. Meaning the Gentiles think being humble means to see yourself as nothing. The Jewish definition is to see yourself as no one. But pure consciousness, pure, a pure soul. That's humility for us. Humility for us is that you are, you are no one. You are just pure consciousness. And that consciousness comes from God. God's word consciousness comes from it's coming from God. Like all your consciousness is hundred percent from God. And that's a great place to be. We need much more than that. Now, what's interesting is is that each one of us has very specific settings, and those settings are, are either they're either flow or they're structure. All of us have settings that are either flow, flow or structure. You'll notice that this room will be broken down right down the middle. If we counted all the people, this room would be broken down 50% flow, 50% structure. Now, those who are attracted to my classes generally are more flow meisters anyway, so maybe this class isn't exactly down the middle, but if none of you came specifically to hear me and you're just coming because this was the hour of this class, so, so then we really would be 50% flow people. structure and it's really amazing how God did that like meaning that he actually made half the people flow and half the people structure but it's really important that you know which one you are because the one you are you celebrate the one you are you celebrate and the one you're not you stretch so that you're always stretching to the other side can you be a combination of both, structure and flow? I mean, in certain situations. You couldn't be. <laughs> I couldn't be. We're both big flow meisters, the two of us. We're always in the flow. But we live our lives in balance. Why are we in, in balance? Why are we living our lives balanced? Because we celebrate what we are. And we stretch to the other side. Where does that put you? Puts you in the middle, which is that's how life works. So let's see, uh, you, who are the flow people? Raise your hands if you're from the flow meisters. Meaning, let's say at summer vacation, you wouldn't schedule it; you just like let God be in charge of your itinerary. Okay, let's see the flow meisters. Okay, let's see the structures. 
structure people. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense that it's not exactly down the middle because it's my class. <laughs> I, I attract flow people into my life. Okay, very good. Then, then guess what? You're halfway home to know, like, to know what you know. What's your character about in this world? Like, what you're doing here? With okay, you got the consciousness, but what are you supposed to do? Like, what are you supposed to do with yourself? So, so it turns out that there are um, three horizontal levels of, um, maybe I'll put it here, three horizontal levels uh, number one is intellect number two is interpersonal is the fan at least on low the thing broke that's why it's making so much noise. It's on lo- uh, you just put it on low? Yeah, it was on low before. It was on low? Okay. Was it on low before also? Yeah. And number three is, um, is instinct. So we have these, these three, these three horizontals and these three horizontals are intellect interpersonal or instinctual so I for example I'm a two three one I'm mostly interpersonal if I'm not doing that I'd rather be in the mountains and in my instinct world and and lastly is ideas like I'll open up a book and learn something you know I, I'll be in idea land you know, but I, I don't naturally go there because I'm a two three one. I naturally go towards interaction with people, more instinctual, like uh, tactile, uh, sensory, sensual pleasures. Like I'm, I'm more sensory. That's my second, and then intellect's my third. By the way, this has nothing to do with smarts. Like I, I was just with a. Uh, I was just with a, a billionaire startup uh, guy yesterday. Who's uh, he's right here? Um, he's a structure instinct guy. All the wealthiest people in the world are instinct structure. They're br- they've been given a hell of a lot of brains. They're absolutely brilliant, and they're instinctual people. And so they just get like it's like they're always getting inside scoop on. Professions in their in their field, it's like they always seem to know where to go with things. You know? So you just want to figure out what number you are. So let and the most important is which one are you first? That's the one you need to know. Which is the one you're the most? Now, where am I going to celebrate? I'm going to celebrate here. I'm going to celebrate here, and where do I stretch? Here. I'm a flowmeister. I stretch my I stretch to structure. I'm an interpersonal person. I stretch to to intellect so that I open books and learn the wisdom. I don't do that naturally, but but I I do it. I stretch there. 
Okay, so you ready? Um, you, you need another explanation before we raise our hands to see what you guys are? You need another explanation? Yeah. Ideas? People? Sensory experience. Ideas? People? Sensory experience. Okay? Sensing things, touching, feeling. Okay, here we go. Uh, who are the intellects? Intellect people. People, okay. And then, uh, and oh, by the way, people, again, don't think that that means, you, some of you might have said you're this because you're afraid we're going to think you're dumb. That's why I gave that whole example. The CEO is a genius with his instinct. I mean, this guy was smart. He's smarter than anyone in this room. He just doesn't care about ideas. He cares about making money. He likes wine. Okay? So, so let's go, um, let's go, uh, again, intellect. Interpersonals. Instinctuals. Okay, very good. So that made sense. So, so you're going to be an instinct flow guy over here. Okay? You're an instinct flow guy. And um, we were just hanging out, the two of us. And we get along very, very well, by the way, because you're, you're, interpers- you're a 3 two, one by the way. And you may even be a 2 three, one but I think you're a 3 two, one My sense is you're a 3 two. Yeah, I can't quite, quite grasp your... Uh the, the theories are a little confusing. Uh, I can be like the majority of one. Like, can't you have to choose actually one, or you also like are, are mostly in one, and then you stretch to the other two? Or? No, don't worry about stretch right now. That's when you apply it. We're n- right now. We're just in figuring it all out. But you're you're a three, two, one. Meaning, like, do you want to spend all day in yeshiva? No. No way, right? No way. Okay. So a one. You know what happens when ones discover yeshiva for the first time? They're like, you know what they do? They send an email back to wherever they're from saying they died. <laughs> they're, they're literally in the Garden of Eden. That they, that it's an entire society that promotes spending all your time in front of books. You know, it's like the guy, the guy is literally, he's, he's died and gone to heaven. Yeah. It's got to be their books, though. What? It's got to be their books. Yeah, whatever. Don't, like the don't bring up these issues. Hey, trouble. You were born to make trouble. So, so the, uh, anyway, the, and it's very interesting in the Jewish world how out of balance it is because because just look at, like, like, imagine all the men in this room. There aren't that many men, but there's like, let's say, 15 men in this room. All right, I want every single man to vote. You ready? Who would like to spend their day purely in ideas? Raise your hand. Meaning that's your natural setting. Okay? Like only thinking in ideas? Yeah, you live in ideas. Okay? You could spend your whole life in ideas. That's it. You, so you're a think. You could just go to Yeshiva and say goodbye? Maybe. Wow. Pretty impressive. But, but here's the thing, is that if you're, if you're raised observant and you're a male, you're putting those Yeshivas for like, I mean, you're literally from age three, I think when you go and you lick the honey off the olive bed, you know, in your first day in Haida and, and 
kindergarten. So from three, today till something like, you're expected to keep studying till about, you know, a few years into your marriage as well. So let's say 25. So you're expected to spend <coughs> 22 years here. 22 years here. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. And then, uh, and now interpersonal people, it's not that big a stretch. And, and what helps them a lot is yeshivas are full of men. And so you've got like this huge cast of characters. And you're all together all the time. And you even go to Shabbos meals together. And so you just like, if anyone who's a two to two or one or one or two as their first two priorities can make it in yeshiva because you're just like, you're with all your friends. And think of the learning partners are called chevrusa. You know what the root of chevrusa is? Chaver. So you're studying the ideas with a chaver. Full volume, because the only way you're going to be able to hear each other is, is by raising your voices in the loud study halls that we have. So, so these people can do pretty well in yeshivas. Tell me, how do these people do in yeshiva? Not too good. Yeah, they don't do so good. They have a hard time in yeshiva. Now, if they're particularly smart, so they can at least get away with the... They like pride, like threes like pride. So they at least have the pride of outdoing all the intellects because they, they literally can get... If you're a genius three, you can outscore on the test. There's a lot of tests involved. So you can outscore the ones. So all these intellectuals don't get as high a score as the genius instinct guy. So the genius instinct guy can maybe get through you know, without, you know, feeling like a total goy. And they, and uh, just one more thing that I like to write that's uh, important. Um, can you see this on the camera over here? Does this fit? Yeah. Is that they made such a big deal out of this one mitzvah called Torah study that there's people who are instinct people who really had the other 612 mitzvahs waiting for them, but because the community made such a big deal out of the one mitzvah of studying Torah, and they failed at that, so they were really here, because this is, meaning this is Torah, they were here, mixing up the one mitzvah of studying Torah with all the other commandments, that when the instinct guy didn't make it in in Torah study, he threw the whole thing out. And I meet people all the time. And I really love those guys because they're all threes. So, And they usually have, you know, really nice cars. And they, so, like, I was just in London driving around in a bright orange Range Rover. You know, you know those mini Range Rovers? Those cool-looking, like, they look like mini Hummers. Yeah? And he was driving me around in his orange Range Rover. And uh, that was fun. And they, they're great. And guess where we went? Where'd we go? We went to the Schwitz. We went to the sauna. And we were with a bunch of big Russians. And people were slamming me with leaves and stuff. And, and stuff. So my three was in heaven. And I couldn't wait to get into Shabbos where I'm going to be with like thousands of Hasidim to hang out with. Because I love hanging out with Hasidim. That's one of the best things about being Hasidic is it's considered perfectly normal and okay to simply have a conversation with someone. 
that's the beauty of the Hasidic world is is schmoozing schmoozing is considered a good thing that's good it's funny I was uh, I was schmoozing with some Hasidim a couple, like about a month and a half ago and we were at the coffee tea before davening you know we're at the coffee tea booth and the, you know, the cakes and, and we're schmoozing and davening already started and we're still schmoozing and and I don't mind schmoozing yo what's up Devin? I don't mind schmoozing just standing room only for the last minute I don't mind schmoozing at all instead of davening because I, I'm part of a I'm part of a uh, ecstatic prayer group in Israel if you get into ecstatic prayer groups by the way anyone wants to join me for ecstatic prayers I go every Friday night and Shabbos day but once you're part of an ecstatic prayer group when you travel, meaning like to New York or wherever I go, there's no ecstatic prayer groups. So it's so if I even if I do all the prayers, I feel like I didn't even daven. I did nothing. So anyway, I'll just finish the story. We were all schmoozing together, and we got to such intense, amazing realization. You know those conversations where you get to like the truth of it all. You know, and I said to them, "Thank God we're Hasidim, or we would never have come to this point." Because we would definitely not be sitting here schmoozing. Shalom, everybody. Have a great day. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.